All right, we're back, Empires of the Future. Yeah, people thought we quit. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Who are those guys been? I yeah, haven't no seen them in a while. Well, we have been. Uh, you are teaching now. Yes. Right, so that's a Boys new adventure for you. Dogs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, so, and you're teaching what? Introduction to Church Planning. Very good. It's, what's the course number, 210 or something like yeah. that? Yeah. So, 200 level. Big time, right? And I guess the most exciting thing I have to say is that uh, we've had church canceled twice in the last few weeks oh. on Wednesdays because of, oh, uh, Wednesdays. this is, for us right now, this is ice, uh, ice storm week. Yes. Uh, we had ice a couple days ago that hung around and still hanging around in a lot of places. There's ice on the sidewalk outside. Yeah. And we're looking at snow coming next week. So yeah, so we'll see if people will see us next week. Yeah, no kidding. Be uh, lodged inside, uh, but also I was at a town when, when was I in Denver? Yes, I went skiing one yes. Friday, and then you you were out of town like a week after that, or right? Our that. great van search has ended. We now are van owners, so we've been to St. Louis to get our van. So yeah, you that's own right. three vehicles now at the moment, unfortunately. Wow, you're so wealthy. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we need to get rid of one of these vehicles, but you know. Ministry's good gig. It's a process. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway. That's certainly the takeaway. <laughs> well, cool. What kind of van you get? So we have a Dodge Caravan. Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to give you the, high, the Honda Odyssey high, high five, but I can't. Yeah, uh, no. You went Dodge. Oh, yes. man. Yeah, we went to the Dodge American. Caravan. That's right. Good I guess we you. did. Good for you. Yeah. Because they're owned by Italy now, though. Yeah, well, you can't, yeah. <laughs> all, all vehicles, I think, are now a conglomeration of yes, the whole world that work is. together. We could, it probably do a, we could probably do a whole podcast on the the death of the American motor, automobile Ooh, yeah. owned by all these other other companies. Uh, right. Brit, Britain has the same story. Like, I think Rolls-Royce is owned by maybe BMW. Uh, I think Land Rover is owned by India, which is fascinating because India used to be under Britain, and now... The great right. Land Rover is owned by a, the ta- I mean a uh, Indian car company. Who owns BMW now? BMW is owned by BMW. Okay, so it's still British. It's still, uh, no, uh, German. BMW. It's German. Yeah, BMW. I thought, German. what does BMW stand for? Uh, something Sh- in German. Show, showing my ignorance. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking it was like British. No. Oh well, that's Obviously, a different we're, thing we're not altogether. Doing a podcast on cars. That's right. <laughs> we have no. Obviously, we have no uh, paperwork in front of us no. about these at all. <laughs> so, oh well, it stands for something. And actually, the Mini, another great British car, the Mini, is that owned that built not owned by a British company? It's, it's owned by BMW. Huh. The Germans. See, the Germans eventually took over Britain. That efficiency, man. They yeah. win with oh, that all the time. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk about schools. Yep. And also the stimulus. Uh, I guess there, there's there was a stimulus package that was passed before Christmas, I think. Yeah. That was that was Trump, President Trump, and now Biden is wanting to pass another big stimulus. Right. So there was a six hundred dollar per person. They're talking about the fourteen hundred dollar per person to get you up to that magic two thousand right. dollar mark right. that's been 1. much discussed. Right, lots of money being thrown around. Yes. Our uh, our second half is is talking about how much money is being thrown around. Right since now. we're economists, we'll know exactly. Oh, what I thought about that about. so much when I was looking at this, going, <laughs> man, I'm struggling to understand. But there's uh, there's some stuff in there I think we can speak about, and then some I'll just have to go. You know what? I hope that. Uh, it, it, here's the funny thing about uh, there, we're certainly going to be out of our league discussing some of this. But my anytime I listen to. Um, People talk about economics right now. They say things like, you know, uh, for a long time, deficits used to be a concern. I, I guess we don't think they are now. It's very much just, it's wild. They talk about it like it's the weather, you know. Like, well, what can you do? I don't know. Uh, so it's very strange. Very strange time very, very economically. Strange time. Very, very strange time. So uh, we're going to start with the schools, though. Yep. Uh, this is an article in the Wall Street Journal, The Tragedy of the Schools by Daniel Hittinger. Hittinger? Yep. Um, and that has been a huge issue. Schools, mm-hmm. public schools, um, and obviously, um, my I have a you don't have a child currently in the right. Uh, my oldest will start next year. Okay. Yep. And so our daughter Maggie goes to West Terrace up here, up here, um, and elementary school. 
and the Black Cats. Is that they're called? Really? Uh huh. Okay. And uh, I'm not sure why an elementary school needs a nickname. They're not playing any sports, but hey, whatever. They're the Black Cats. Well, I was a Panther as an East Side elementary school. I was uh, a Panther as well. There you go. Yeah. We definitely weren't Tigers. West Siders were Tigers. So oh. we, you know, that was serious. So yeah, yeah. You, you want that Rival when you're cats. a kid. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, that's a fun thing to be when you're a kid. Right. Um, so, but there has been quite a few uh, cities and, and areas in our country that have not open schools mm-hmm. um, in 2020 and still have yet to open schools in 2021. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about that. Right, um, right. And that um, this article is really good for one of those things that you can't get around, which is, uh, especially by now, schools here are, are open uh, mm-hmm. and have been for quite a while. And so it was... Um, the statistics are uh, surprising to me at how out of the norm uh, Evansville and the Evansville Vanderbilt School Corporation and Warwick County uh, and all the affiliated schools and then the schools in Evansville, Catholic schools, Evansville Christian mm-hmm. School, how the being open uh, is the rule here mm-hmm. and in nationwide it's the exception. Right. And Especially urban cities. Right. A lot of cities. And Chicago has been the big famous one because they've had some issues. The mayor would like for the schools to reopen. Um, And so does President Biden. Um, Mm -hmm. But yet the teachers unions have kind of put their foot down and Mm -hmm. refused to to go back to work. And so that's been a a push because, I mean, we could, and my daughter, who, again, has been going to school, uh, really, uh, even though she's like any other kid, she likes staying at home and, you know, and playing and and being home, but she has friends that she goes to school with and Mm -hmm. she gets to spend time with her friends. And, um, and uh, our kids, they enjoy being around other kids. They don't want to be stuck in the home all day with their right. parents. Um, they want to be, uh, may, may, may not be wanting to learn per se, but it is important for their learning and for their development to be in school. Mm-hmm. Um, socially, it's important to, and academically, it's right. important. Um, and so, um, so I, I, I know that, I don't know, do, did you have uh, families in your church who, vocalize any kind of opposition to sending their kids back to school? No, I mean, um, every school, while the norm has been to open, um, every school has created options Mm -hmm. so that uh, some of of the kids um, are still home doing online school. Uh, Some of the kids uh, are present at school. And so there, there hasn't been, I mean, in, in my experience here, all the options have been present. So I don't know if, if there are complaints, I would be surprised because how could you complain when uh, the teachers have gone back, you have that option, or they are completely allowing you to keep your child at home if that's what you want. And I've also read that, like, um, you know, it seems the data shows that there's been little or very insignificant, um, you know, virus transferring through the school. Right. Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, students are getting it from teachers or that teachers are getting it from students. And that right. was one of the fears, you know, mm-hmm. you're putting students back into an environment with other kids and with other mm-hmm. with other adults and that the, you know, the giving of the virus could happen quite quite high in the school, right. but it hasn't seemed like the the statistics have shown that that just doesn't seem right. Right, right, and that's great news. That's news. really great news. So the, um, the big question of this article uh is the coronavirus pandemic and the response of the schools undermining uh, public confidence and the role of public schools in the United States? Uh, the pointed statement by uh, Daniel Henninger here is, uh, quote, parents feel abandoned by the schools that they fund with their tax dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have experienced uh, having to deal with child care during this oh, yeah. uh, situation, because obviously for a a lot of months there, there was nobody uh, going to school. It's too unpredictable. Um, and so this is just a fundamental issue that uh, on average, we don't bring our children to work. And so for a lot of people, they've been left with this situation of, hey, somebody's got to watch your child. Yeah. And the school is where you had been sending them. And now that you can't send them there. Right. And I mean, a lot of jobs have policies about bringing children right. to school. I mean, to, to work because you know, liability type issues. And so they don't want kids running around right. uh, an office building or whatever uh, environment that the, the parent is working. Um, it, you know, even like when we were talking about Chicago, but you have a progressive mayor 
Laura Lightfoot, who wants schools to reopen. It's the third largest school system in the nation. And the teachers won't return. Right. And um, uh, this has happened in New York as well. They won't, uh, they're not going to open until September of 2021. Is that correct? That's, uh, that's the, right now. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals. This is this continual bargaining situation yeah. where the head of the teachers union, um, in, in a lot of ways, here's, here's one uh, thought that kind of reoccurred to me in reading this. I, I felt uh, within a few months that being pushed into this situation has accelerated some trends like 10 years uh, as far as in the church. And this definitely, I got the same feeling, um, this, this bargaining kind of situation between teachers unions and schools has been uh, pretty, uh, you could count on it. Uh, it, it has been present for a lot of years, but this, this has raised the stakes on it. And the outcome is not certain. Um, you know, look, uh, teachers in a lot of ways uh, feel underpaid. I think that teachers are underpaid. I think that the situation is tough because there's a lot of teachers. Uh, it would involve raising of taxes significantly. And that's where you start with this issue. But it is, it is one of these political situations where being out has not raised, being out of school and refusing to go back to work has not raised sympathies for teachers. It has not made them look good or made the unions look good. No, and, and especially since, in, in, in understanding during this pandemic, uh, with, as we've talked about in other episodes, where local governments are str struggling with mm -hmm. money, uh, tax revenue is down, uh, to fight over uh, salary increases doesn't seem like the... The, the right time to do that. Um, and now I know that they've done that in the past and and maybe those raises weren't provided and maybe they should have been provided. But yeah. now that, that boat's kind of sailed for, for now. Um, and it's, it's hard on parents. I mean, you pay your taxes uh, so and you send your, your kids to school, but then you, if they're not in school, you have to find other means of, right. of childcare that is also coming out of your pocket. So it's like, they're having to pay money, continue to pay money for schools that aren't open. Right. And then while also paying daycares an enormous amount of money to watch their kids. Right. So um, while also the economy not doing well. So it's just a, I think it's one of those situations. I understand that this probably doesn't sell well uh, politically, but there is a sense of duty to the children that you, um, you know, got in the business of teaching for in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I think these kids need to be in school for the sake of their own education development. I mean, there's the gap, and we'll talk about this uh, a little bit later, is that you have this massive gap between private schools and public schools, right? Right. 60% of private schools and charter schools, right, are up and running. And so if you're in like a city like Chicago, um, kids that are going to Chicago public schools aren't in school, and then kids that are going to private and charter schools are in school, right. how is that going to help them get into college or be able to compete for jobs later on if they're getting losing a year and a half of school? Right. right. You know, and I, I'm, I'm very much a believer that, um, so for instance, um, healthcare professionals are uh, receiving hazard pay, however you want to um, uh, kind of qualify it right now. I, I know uh, some nurses, some, uh, some people in the healthcare professions and the, oh, look, they're, they're being required to work extra hours. It's, and so I, I yeah. think teachers should, if yeah. they are working, receive uh, those kind of things. I think there ought to be uh, a way to, as much as possible, uh, encourage and compensate them for the, it's, it's, look, it's more dangerous. It is, yeah. it just is. Um, but this has accelerated an already difficult situation and accelerated it in a way that um, it is not going to be uh, appreciated or looked well upon by people in Chicago, New York, if schools don't open there until September. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a, it's a horrible situation. And I think it really, what makes the situation so... Uh, dire is that a lot of the kids that are suffering from this are low-income families, mm -hmm. and we're not talking about the upper middle class. We're not talking about the parent families who send their kids to private schools, um, who can afford to send their kids to private schools, or for the families that were able to win maybe the lottery system to get into a charter school. We're talking about a lot of families that are struggling right now, struggling not only with uh, financially, 
but also like their stu- kids, hoping that their kids will have an opportunity to to move up the economic ladder. But yet their teachers don't want to go back to work. Right. And how does how do you even if the teachers go back to work in say September, how does the community just just snap their fingers and go back to normal with right. that? Right. Right. Um, right. Where and will these kids be economically? I mean, I'm sorry, uh, uh, education-wise, when it comes to September, they have lost a year and a half, right? Basically, right. Now, was it um, this this voucher situation? Was this something done under the Trump administration that uh, parents gained more choice in sending their kids? Two private schools and charter schools through the voucher program. Do you know? Well, I, I'm, it is it is Republican Republican um, you know policies that that are, are more open to voucher programs. Yeah. And, and and I cannot remember her name off the top of my head right now, but the Secretary of Treasury was a very a huge uh, advocate for voucher program. Um, the and previous Secretary the of the Treasury. Previous Secretary. Uh, uh, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, during the in the Trump administration. Okay. The Secretary of Education. Oh, Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and this is, has been Republican policy is uh, parent option, parent choice when it comes to education. Yeah. Where Democrats typically are more pro uh, public schools, government run. Yeah, schools. I mean, typically Democrats have had support of uh, unions. Right. Teachers Union being one of those for many years. That's more of a constituency of theirs. But whatever you think about. Um, if that should be in place, it is currently in place, and this is a perfect storm to encourage people to go away oh, yeah. from the public school and to support private schools, uh, charter schools, uh, because they're for the most part they're in session. I mean, right. here in uh, in town, without going into too much details, I can tell you that some of the private schools that I am more familiar with heard from parents. You know, look, we're paying quite a bit of money for our right. kids to go to uh, your schools, so we need. You'd be open. This online schooling is not going to get it done right. exclusively, and so uh, the private schools have worked harder to get back to in in class learning and to come up with and and you know every every education system for the um, anytime you're dealing with young people as you and I do, you have to be uh, you have to be ready for a lot of eventualities as far as what we're going to do, and so schools have had to come up with well, if we do have a lot of people who are COVID positive, what do we do about that? Do we have, they have to have plans for, uh, you know, being out for a couple weeks, if that's what they have to do. And that's difficult. And they've done a great job, uh, the schools that I'm familiar with, was coming up with plans on how to do that that are reasonable. And, I mean, and that's a, that's a hard job when you are dealing with circumstances that are – nobody's experienced this before. And so the schools have done that, but it's, um, it's exciting because that's what it is to be um, – I mean, goodness gracious, that's what it is to be human, is to go, you know what, we're going to have to face this situation, and we're going to have to take some risks. Yeah. And and they have. The schools I've seen in town here have learned to navigate a difficult situation, and they ought to be applauded for that. And I, I think it, that a lot of these schools, you know, look, they're large. These We're talking, I mean, Chicago public school system is large. Right. New York City, it's a large, sure. a lot of people. Um, but... This has gone on a long time, yeah. and to, to kind of go, well, you guys, a year and a half, you just kind of work it out, and we'll come back when we can, right. has not been uh, received well by parents. And uh, it just shows you that the, the school system in the United States is broken because of the, the stronghold that unions, teachers union have on the system, you know, where, uh, like, you know, uh, the city elected leaders of, like, Chicago who agreed that, hey... We want schools to go back, and they have no power to make their teachers go back to work. Um, and you know, we, we're, this is not a place to have an argument about you know pro union, anti union, but it just shows you that like um, something like the teachers union just put a stronghold on the necks of school systems, and and uh, so therefore, like you know, there's an argument out there that are for charter schools, especially yeah. um, that charter schools typically have. You're not talking about upper middle class, the wealthy are going to charter schools. We're talking about low-income children going to charter schools and doing just as well, doing just as good, if not better, than the, the richest schools in the state. Yeah. Um, so it shows you that charter schools work, that voucher school uh, programs work, but the teacher juniors don't want them because it takes money out of their pocket. And so um, it, this is, you know, if you want to talk about people... When it comes to an issue that gets people to vote for a different candidate than usual, 
education is one of those issues. Right. Because people see education as a way to get their children to have a more prosperous life than themselves, right? Yeah. And if they feel like their choices for education are limited or that their kids are held back because of decisions by teachers or unions or things like that, they're going to um, seek out uh, a new avenue. Yeah. And it seems by by studies out there that charter schools is the one of the most um, the best option available for a lot of families, not the public schools. Right. Yeah, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on teachers' unions. I, I don't, I don't um, know enough about it to throw in the towel yet. I do think teachers are in a tough spot uh, as far as negotiation sure. uh, because a single teacher doesn't have a lot of power in a school system. They you know, uh, take it or leave it as far as uh, what is being offered. But at the same time, uh, man, you're in a dangerous position as a leader of a uh, teacher's union uh, and it's and it's shown right now in that people do depend on you, and yeah. this, is, this is something that's close to people's hearts as far as the future of their child. And if you deal with this, uh, you're bargaining with things that are very close to people's heart that will yeah. that will quickly turn them for you or against you. Uh, so I, I hope that uh, people who are involved in, in leading teachers unions are aware of that. It's really important uh, that you don't you don't play with these kinds of things the issue you know the one thing for you teachers unions especially is you're negotiating with local government state government federal government right mm-hmm. and and they don't they don't sell a product and then produce profit by which they pay for their employees right? mm-hmm. it's all taxable money right right the way that your salary increases is increasing taxes yes right and so it's their bargaining situation is basically we want more money Therefore, will you, will you continue to tax people? You right. how, I mean, that's the kind of the, the situation and the complexity of the issue. Yeah. Um, you know, even in the state of Indiana, right, a few years ago, they had the, the kind of the, the protest at, in Indianapolis for teacher pay, right, right? right? They actually increased the education budget. Holcomb mm-hmm. increased it, but a lot of that money didn't go to teacher pay. Um, it went to the students. And so there's just, uh, there's a, there is a complexity, I understand. Yeah. But what this, a state like Indiana has done in this situation is, pro, is put more money in the students' hands, less in the teachers' hands. And so that's really the battle. Where does the money go? Does it go to the students or go to the teachers? Does it go to the, the, the building? Does it go to the teachers? Does it go to more resources? Does it go to the teachers? And that's pretty much what these people are making decisions on. And I don't, I, I'll say right now, I don't know if the teacher unions have a better negotiating stand now when there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be against that's right. them. That's right. And that's um, a part of what's so difficult about this as well as that there are competing visions of what uh, teachers ought to be doing as a uh, social conservative. I don't believe that the teacher's job is social work. And right. a lot of teachers are asked to do right. a lot of social work. Right. And, uh, and all that's to say, look, I want kids to succeed, but I, I don't believe you can uh, replace parents or the family right. with a teacher in... Um, Yes, I know the best teachers often uh, feel like family members, but right. they still cannot perform right. that family role right. uh, in a student's life. Right. They, they uh, students need parents and yeah. grandparents, uh, and they also need good teachers. Um, but the best teachers are able to focus on education. And that's a part of what's such a struggle in this right now is, look, I know teachers are uh, doing enormous amounts of work and, and asked to do above and beyond. Um, it, is, it is a crime in our country of what politicians make versus what teachers make yeah, in, sure. in terms of just comparing uh, something that way. But... I think most every teacher you talk to who's worth their salt will tell you, look, I, this is a calling for me. I believe I was made to do this, and that's why I do it. And so uh, they, will, uh, they will, I mean, this is a, this is a very Christian thing. You, you're calling, then you're dealing with the Lord. Absolutely. and God, You're doing what God made you to do, and you will have rewards for that yeah, and I think, uh, of you know, another kind. You, have, you, you bring up a good point. If, if family institution is broken, then the school's institution will be broken, right? right? Cause, Teachers cannot fulfill, it cannot be a mother and a teacher. They cannot be um, that um, 
guardian support while also being a teacher. Like you just, that's too much to ask. It's, that's why I'd be, it's, uh, that's why we're having this conversation. It's too much to ask parents to be parents and teachers at the same time. That's the problem. You know, parents uh, are having to work outside the home to, to take care of their family, to put food on the table, to put a roof over the head of their family. And if they have to, if they have to stop working because their children can't go to school, then it affects that as well. So that, the, the, the complexity and the way that these things interwine are so tight. And I don't right. know if, I'm not sure, maybe the mayors of these cities have considered that. Um, maybe these teachers unions have considered that. Yep. But it doesn't seem like they have considered that. Yep. And how much pressure this puts on right. the family. Right, now, the family. we realize that teachers are under pressure because of COVID. Right. Everyone's under the same right. under that pressure. Now, they may be a little bit more than others, but not any more than nurses yep. and doctors. And you brought that up. And so maybe teachers need to go ahead, and I don't know if teachers are able to get the vaccine. Maybe that's just something they need to consider is right. push them up further on the line so that they can get the vaccines right. and get back to work. So Right. That's yeah, a big deal. Um, and, and so uh, there, there is a story that many have heard about um, San Francisco's Board of Education uh, has in the past couple of weeks uh, voted uh, six to one to cancel the names of 44 Americans from their public schools. Uh, Abraham Lincoln being one, uh, certainly some people on the list that they, uh, <laughs> they got rid of were more debatable. Sure. Uh, but when you get to Abraham Lincoln and you can't, uh, you can't agree that this guy deserves to have an elementary school named after him. Um, like who does get to get an elementary school named after him if Lincoln doesn't, right. uh, <laughs> doesn't fulfill? And on, on Wednesday, uh, a little over a week ago, the city sued its own school board uh, for failing to get the schools open. So the, they have had enough time to consider uh, 44 schools and to take off the names and to change the names of them, but uh, no, not looking at all uh, like they can get the schools open. This is just a story of um, the exact sort of thing that is the problem. Uh, the, there's enough time to change the name uh, and to examine this, but uh, I, I think the people want to see uh, actual education focus on it. And, and the strangest thing to this, I, I've mentioned before that I listened to a, a few different uh, podcasts and I heard um, on the argument, the New York Times podcast, uh, uh, the more uh, liberal voice on there, uh, Michelle Goldberg talking about this. And she just dismissed it. It's like, oh yeah, crazy stuff happens in San Francisco. That's just how it is. And that is not at all, um, that does not calm me or encourage me at all because it's like, so you just let some of, uh, I, listen, I understand if you want to say I don't agree with those people, but it wasn't, it was more her saying, oh yeah, we've got some people who are just off the rails, but they're still, you know, kind of in the fold as far as we go. Uh, well, that's this nonsense. There's no way to negotiate or deal with folks who, who just want to say, like, oh, I mean, you're sure Abraham Lincoln held the union together in a, you know, in, in, a, in a way that literally, like, took away years of his life he was working so hard. But is that, you know, morally praiseworthy here uh, 150 years later? Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if, I, get I don't know the legality and the constitutional um, the ramifications of this, but I know President Biden has come out and says he wants kids back in school. Like yeah. He's made this point. And what stops him from basically saying every teacher, uh, I am now, um, you now all work for me. Right, right. And you, you better go to work or you're, you're fired. Right. Like what, like, what stops him from doing that? You know, yeah, sure, then the teachers union can sue. But yeah, then you have to take that to court. But yeah. in the meantime... You've got to work, right? <laughs> yeah, that would be politically costly uh, for him, so I, I don't think he would do that. But, you know, but we, we are the, seeing the how far executive orders yeah, can go. right. And, and also, I think the people will be behind him. You know, and that's, that's true. That's the point. It would be a sort of Teddy Roosevelt-esque yeah. sort of yeah, thing exactly. to do, it seems, right now. This is what the people want. I'm going to go directly to I'm the ground. Go, and you, you stop me if you think you can stop me. Go, right. Good luck. But uh, I'm going to do what's best for the people and for the kids. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I'll see you in court. Right, <laughs> that would be that would be especially courageous. So, and I wonder knows? with the with the more conservative judges that they'll actually 
back him on that one. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Interesting. Well, uh, maybe President uh, Biden, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, you can take that cue. Just, just give us, you know, if you if you're wanting to thank someone, just you know, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Give us some thoughts. Here's some data on this. Uh, he said data was a little hard to find, but he said, quote, what data exists suggests in-person teaching at public schools is below 25%, uh, while it's about uh, 60% at private schools, which have largely reopened. And he, he did note there what you have already mentioned, that the CDC says there's scant evidence of virus transmission in yeah. schools. And that's great news. Incredible. Well, what's interesting is that the Wall Street Journal did a huge report this summer uh, on schools in Europe mm -hmm. who had opened up in the spring, actually. So the European countries had opened up in the spring their school system, and they had made this point already. They made this point that they had seen very little um, uh, evidence of transmission of the virus amongst students mm -hmm. and teachers. Um, so Europe had already been, basically had presented the template and the model for Americans um, before, before, right. the, before the fall. So... American uh, school systems should be not surprised by this data because the Europeans basically showed us. Well, and, and I don't, my immediate feeling on that is that we are so much more concerned about appearances yeah. in America that we're slower to move on things because we have this step of what we, uh, especially in politics, the step of what we think makes sense and ought to be right. right. And then there seems to be uh, this discussion, and, and as a fan of the West Wing, I know yeah. that you, uh, you know what I mean when I say the term optics. Right, sure. Uh, what will this look like to the people if we do this? And how would they, so we gotta put out some surveys to sure. find out what people might think if we were to sure. do this. And I, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna say I know uh, about European culture, but they certainly seem to be uh, less concerned on the whole in general about the way things look than Americans are. Sure, but again, it goes back to the point that it's seems like the facts are behind and the people are behind it. Okay, yeah. So I'm like, well, what's stopping you from doing it? Uh -huh. Yeah, optics may be bad if something goes wrong, sure. but optics will always look bad if something goes that's wrong. That's true, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and that's a question that I think we all ought to be asking ourselves, just since you brought that up, is are we willing to support bold action if the facts seem to warrant it? I think we should. I, I really think, think should. that we should. I, 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 I am tired of living in a time of sort of gotcha journalism Absolutely. and gotcha social media. Right. Hey, here's a guy who actually went out and tried something, and yeah, uh, look at this failure. Isn't he an idiot for trying something? He's like, no, the, I appreciate. I mean, this is another Teddy Roosevelt yeah. moment. This is before the guy who gets in the ring, not the guy who stands outside of the ring and criticizes the guy in the ring. Be yeah. a guy who gets in the ring. Try things. You might fail, but... You know what? That's okay. It's better to be somebody who tries things and takes the risk than to be somebody who always criticizes. Yeah. Uh, you, you will never be a success or a failure if you're just always a critic. And that's. Right. And that was, you know, I you know you're, you're a bit of a fan of this podcast, but I did listen to the first episode, uh, the Wall Street Journal. I'm mean, sorry, the, um, the Washington Times. Uh, Washington, Washington Post, Post uh, presidential? On presidential. I watched the first yeah. episode and they were talking to Bob Woodward and he was saying about, he asked President Bush, you know, what do you think history will remember you by, by this word? Yeah. He basically says, I don't know. Yeah. Right? We will never know. Yeah. I, 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 not until I'm dead, I think is what he said. And mm -hmm. it was this quote. He said, not until someone dies, right. at, years and years later, do we actually can actually right. say that their decisions were right or wrong. Yep. So, yeah, President Biden comes out and says, hey, I'm, every student needs to go back to school. Every teacher needs to go back to work. In yep. the moment, maybe he's criticized. Maybe within yep. his administration, he's criticized for his, for his four years. But history may prove him to be right. Right. So... It seems that that students are not a part of the conversation enough. Mm -hmm. You know, what affects the student? What's best for the student? Schools are supposed to be a place of learning for the student, for the yep. kid. Uh, I understand we put a lot of they put a lot of emphasis. What's best for the teacher? And I'm not saying that shouldn't be brought into the equation, but it seems like maybe that's too much of the decision or yep. too much a part of the decision than the students. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, just a couple other notes uh, as far as stats. Uh, there, there's already outcomes to the uh, policies that have been taken. Enrollment in California's K through 12 public schools has dropped by 155,000 students in a state with uh, a terrible budget problem already. That spells uh, bigger trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, enrollment in New York City is down 43,000, and that means fewer tax dollars. Uh, and add to that another problem, out-migration, which we've been hearing a little bit about here, but uh, as mentioned here, out-migration from California, Illinois, New Jersey, and New York 
this, those are heavily blue states, and so this ought to be a concern for both political parties. Look, this is an issue that, trans <laughs> if anything, transcends politics anymore. Uh, this could. I hope it does, um, because we, we have power as the people in this country, and so we ought to hold leaders to account and hold uh, leaders at all levels to account. Uh, uh, we've talked about in here, politics is local. Look, uh, school boards matter. Uh, this is this story is very much evidence that your local school board matters. Yep. And not only they're picking the textbooks for your school, they're making decisions like this. Uh, as names of schools, yeah. what, I mean, look at the past year and all the decisions that school boards have had hands in. You know, just uh, know who you're picking. Yeah. And what they stand for. That's so right. We're gonna probably look back at this like years down the road and call 2020 and 2021 the Great Migration out of a lot of different states and districts and cities and. People are like, why did the population of Tennessee grow so much? And you go, well, go back to 2020, 2021. And right. so when they do the census in 2030, they'll go, wow, these different southern states have grown quite significantly. Why right. do they grow? It's well because people left these states, one, because of the pandemic, but other because the school system. Right. Maybe. maybe that's simple. Sure. When you look for, for reasons and causes uh, for why certain populations are growing and, and so yeah, it's interesting right it's a very difficult time to even get data right now so much is happening so much and is so happening. we're going to get that data in the next year or two uh on through and, and we'll see because there are many things are changing people have been crunched and so they're making moves so you have a question at the end here is it, you know are the schools accomplishing their purposes what do you think uh, so honestly, uh, as a as somebody who didn't know any different than public school uh, I want to say I had some Great teachers sure. growing up helped me to be who I am. I had a, a great family, uh, uh, not perfect, but a family sure. who came together and did their part, and I appreciate that so much. I think that public schools were already overtaxed. I think this is pushing them to the limit, and if something doesn't change, that uh, the public school system will collapse under the weight. I, I think already the uh, the social work element has has taxed educators and cost uh, cost schooling, you know, look, schooling started out as a privilege and it is not viewed that way anymore. But I think by necessity in a private school, it is more viewed as, as a privilege. And that makes you look at it differently as a student. Um, and when you get to the point of, uh, uh, the kind of what's behind a part of this story, I really think is the declining motivation of the average American student and that is a spiritual thing. That this is exactly the kind of things that we talk about on here. And that is, that is a spiritual element that, I mean, part of the reason we do this podcast is to get down to spiritual things. Uh, you cannot fix that through education. Right. You can't fix spiritual issues through education. You're not going to educate somebody out of sin right. or despair. Right. Um, and and that's, these are things that we are neglecting to deal with. And in part, the failure, failure of the public school is not only... Uh, uh, a lack of focusing on this. They, they have been and continue to promote an ideology. What is at the center of the public schools is uh, a focus on, well, let everybody, let students kind of set the tone. Uh, let, right now, I mean, this, uh, there's a discussion this year of the Equality Act, which I think will be a disaster if it goes through. And this is more power than students have ever had before. And if you don't realize how dangerous it is to tell a, say, 16-year-old boy, you tell your teacher day by day what pronoun they will refer to you by. I, if you don't remember, first of all, if you're a male and you don't remember what it was like, that you just threw around words and power like it didn't matter. This, is, this will be just nonsense most of the time coming from uh, young Males, but then I, I, as somebody who thinks that men and women are different, I think it's going to be a whole nother thing uh, for young women in general. It, it's it's problematic all over the place, and this kind of stuff, which is we just had a discussion uh, in the last podcast about when you get to religion, you you get to religion when you take spiritual things and you decide what you're going to do about them, and this is what we're doing. We're raising identity to the level of I'll decide things about myself that are way beyond my pay grade, right. uh, metaphorically speaking, and that's going to create problems. This ideology is going to create problems, and, and it's, it is moving to closer to the front of the desk in the public school of something that, uh, that students get to do, to get to say, this is how I want to do this, and I just think that's a big problem. Yeah. I was reading something recently that goes along with this, like, in the 1960s is when really the kind of sexual revolution happened, and the kind of, like, 
worship of self really mm-hmm. kind of started. Yeah. And someone made the point that it's, it's interesting that that happened in the 1960s, and the fruit of <clears throat> that movement is more depression. Sure. That the person cannot take the weight yes. of defining their identity, right. especially since God created them, and so God's the giver of the identity. Right. God's God, right? right. He, He's the, omni, he's the omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful being. Him defining you who you are, and right. he can take on that burden. Right. To say, we're going to give you all the burden to define yourself is just way too much pressure. Right. And also what ends up happening is, is that if one group of people identify themselves in a certain way and another group of people don't identify them in a, themselves in a certain way, well, that leads to what? Division. Right. And so even the, the view of President Biden wanting to unify. The Equality Act is a de-unifying, it's, a, it's saying you are the, the, the person of, um, to yourself, and yeah. you can choose who you want to unite with or not. I mean, that's not good for the whole, even agenda or theme of this administration to be unifying. Yeah. You know? So it, it's a troubling thing, and, uh, and too, too bad that, you know, uh, again, even when we talk about education, uh, the whole person is not their mind. Right. And so education is not simply stimulating the mind, it's stimulating the whole person, which includes the spirit. Right. We don't have an agreement. I mean, if the purpose of schools is to educate children and produce competent citizens, if I, I would I would love to know if you could have data right now on every, say, high school freshman and then again high school senior. Uh, do you have an interest in being a competent citizen? Uh, we are at such ground level. I yeah. think that the main question would be why. Why do I care about being a competent citizen? Sure. Uh, and if you don't, what value does that bring me? Right. I mean, we are at the level of just what you're talking about. This this, this issue began in the 1960s, which is if the whole world revolves around me, uh, this individualism, then why should I care about being a citizen? Um, and. The sad thing is, is there is a way to answer that question, even to someone who, who has decided, I don't care about anybody but myself. Well, it's in your self-interest to yeah. care about the way this whole country goes. Yeah. Uh, it could be way worse, and it's yeah. going to be if we raise people who only care about themselves. Uh, but ultimately, as people who want to follow Christ, uh, we believe there is reason to love your enemy as well as your neighbor uh, everywhere in between. And so, so there's a lot of work to be done it's here. It's so interesting that when we talk about unity, it's probably talk about... Sh- Students, education, the great unifier is, is we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing more unifying than that truth that there's not one person in this world other than the Lord Jesus Christ that is not a sinner. Right. But also that all are welcomed into God's right. family through forgiveness, uh, through faith in Lord Jesus. Yep. That's a unifying, universal yep. truth. And so when the world says, be who you want, that's actually saying, uh, divide yourself. Right. Divide yourself. Divide right. yourself. And so much that you're a God to unto yourself, that means then they're what? That people sin against you, right? And you can tell people, hey, you're a sinner, and I'm the godly saint, and so you're my enemy. Well, there you go. You have, you have separation. You have yeah. division. You have no, you have no unifying yeah. factor. And so... Well, when a secondary like, way... I mean, uh, uh, the, if God is the first thing, which he is in, in defining your identity, the second thing is your community helps you yeah. find your identity. This is a yes. puzzle that has a solution, not a sort of like... Uh, walk through the woods where you right. make it up as you go. Right. This is a, there's an actual answer. It's not on you to just make it up. Right. You, the people who know you well can help you to figure this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, God being the person that you can know who loves you the most. And so the solution is, is way better. This is the thing. Like you said, it's too much weight. Too much weight. Just make it up on your own. Yeah, so, so much weight. So. All right, we're shifting gears to economics. Oh, I mean, yeah. goodness, this is, if this isn't our uh, wheelhouse... Um, but, you know, it, it is, given what we're going through, uh, this is called The Risks of Too Much Stimulus by Phil Graham and Mike Solon. Did uh, any, any microeconomic reading at all? <laughs> uh, absolutely <laughs> zero. Uh, so, so, yeah, the, I read this one slowly yeah. uh, because uh, I, I went a couple times and I went, what, what does that mean? <laughs> um, so... The, there's good news here, which is that... Um, We've come through some stimulus, and given where we stand right now, it looks like the economy will recover. Uh, we, we seem to be, I still haven't heard um, 
estimates, I think everybody's afraid to put out estimates of when there will be real openings of the economy. But there is, this is sort of a soft... When you mean opening, you're meaning like not any more stimulus money being injected into the system? Sure, that, but really uh, fewer limits on, say, number of people who can oh, be in restaurants okay, and, okay, okay. you know, masks, um, these sorts of things. Nobody's saying this will end by September or this, you know, we're looking towards. Uh, and, and I get that. Nobody wants to be wrong about that. But it's a, it's a general statement that he believes it's coming to say that the economically seems poised for a real recovery. Yeah, and, and I read recently, has, it was not in this particular article, but I've read uh, other pieces on the economy that says the, pres the, the Biden administration has basically put a priority to bringing out unemployment mm -hmm. and that they really want to get people back to work. Yeah. Uh, they want people off um, unemployment. Um, they want people going back to work, and so therefore, providing stimulus money to to businesses, especially to be able to get people back to work, mm -hmm. is really what they're wanting. Um, and and so I don't know. And I think some of the the views is is that provide more stimulus money, uh, get get us out of the the pandemic, and then people can get back to work. Yeah. So in a sense, they're like prioritizing getting out of the COVID cloud. Which I'm not sure how you can just say that. I mean, it seems like you can't really say we're going to get out of the cloud. The cloud stays as long as it really kind of naturally does, maybe. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, the vaccine may help, but then there'll be, uh, there'll be new strands of the coronavirus. Yeah. If you don't know that there's new strands, there actually is new strands yeah. out there. And, right. and it actually, one in the UK is in the United States. And it's in Evansville. It's in uh, Evansville, yeah. right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so anyways, the, supposedly the vaccine will continue to help with those strains. But again, we don't know. Right. There's enough data. Right. Um, and so we do not know this if you watch SNL skit. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. So... Um, so I don't really know, as you said, I don't know what, how much projection you can actually put on this yep. because we don't really know what the, the science data with the, the virus, we don't know, um, you know, is the stimulus money going to be enough right. or are there going to be a new, this is a third time right. in, in the last 10 months that mm -hmm. they've had to inject more stimulus into the economy just yep. to keep it running at base level. Yep. So... I think the problem, though, uh, and we're going to get into this, though, is there is a risk because you keep on spending money yep. just to prop up. Mm -hmm. But eventually you can't continue to prop up. You have to let it go, and no one knows what's going to happen. Right. Um, so here, here are some facts, and I, uh, I was thinking about this, uh, that I, for some of these I will have uh, the way they, they hit my mind as my untrained. Sure. Uh, so, for instance, he talks about real gross domestic product rose 7.5%. Uh, I would qualify that as the stuff that we make. Yep. Uh, so the, the, as a country, uh, the stuff that we make rose 7.5% 7, 7 now. It had fallen around 10% the previous quarter in the shutdown. So it came back up. It's, we're, we're still not uh, where we had been, uh, but it, it is right. rising. Right. Uh, 16 million of the 22 million jobs lost have been restored. Uh, so again, still a significant amount of jobs to recover, uh, but already this is, that's a significant jump back up, especially given that we are still in uh, shutdown in large part. More jobs were lost, though, in 2020 than during the um, housing crisis. Okay, in 2008. In 2008. And mm -hmm. it, took a long, it took several years to recover sure. from that. So I think I don't really – I think when the stimulus money is, is removed as a normal lever by which to uh, affect micro, the microeconomics of this, I don't know if, if actually the growth and the, the, the numbers you've just expressed – Will actually stay where they are, or they'll go right. back down again, right. because you're removing that 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 um, kind of crutch yep. to the economy. Right. Yeah, and that's um, that is kind of the point of where this is going. Um, but uh, other facts: uh, disposable real per capita income. So the what what I a lot of the people I'm around would call kind of extra money. Right. Uh, disposable income. Uh, rose 5.5% in 2020, uh, the highest rate since 1984 due to transfer payments, which is stimulus, unemployment, mm -hmm. uh, the government giving people money in various right. ways. Right. And so disposable income rose, right. uh, statistically speaking. Yeah. So, again, these are probably stuff that you may 
see on the news and maybe through the newspaper, you can somewhat put the pieces together. But it has been kind of U.S. policy when it comes to the economy to, if, if you don't like what the economy is doing, well, then you tweak, tweak it. And yeah. so you bring interest rates low and you make debt cheap, right? So interest rates right now are like nothing, right? You can get, you can get a loan for a house at the lowest rates right now. Right. You know, I don't know what your, you don't. Yeah, you, I live on church yeah, property, yeah, right. so but, my loan is great. But yeah, you're, you're, but if the, <laughs> if the church wanted to buy another house, they could probably, if they weren't using cash outright, they could probably finance it at a pretty low rate, That's right? True. That's true. Um, and uh, so there's people are buying homes because the rates are so low. Yeah. The problem though is, is that that also affects investment, right? If the interest rate's low, then you're not gonna get any money in your savings account. Right. And that's why people are putting money in the stock market yep. because it doesn't necessarily run on a right. interest rate level. So um, that affects investments. So a really low interest rate, and yet it helps you buy a house or get into debt. It helps you get into debt, but doesn't help you invest and make any capital money, right? right. So, but that's kind of how you know. So over the last several years, this, the uh, Federal Reserve has wanted to bring the reserve the interest rate back up a bit, but President Trump was like, "No, I don't want the rate that high. I want right. I want to keep debt." Pretty cheap, um, so that people can can can, can get in, it can actually put invest money into like buildings or any other type of thing, and they can finance it for a pretty cheap mm-hmm. amount of money. Um, but now you have stimulus. Yeah, we don't. We want people at work, or we want uh, people to have money. Uh, we're just going to give them money. Well, you can't always do that. Right. I mean, you, you that ta- that money has to come from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. You have to get it from tax revenue somewhere. Um, and as we've been talking about several different times, tax <laughs> revenue is down. I was going to say, I don't know. Now, at the federal government level, that seems to be uh, very much up in the air as far as that, like you, what you're speaking about is the way we used to do economics. But I, I have heard lately people just kind of saying, I don't know. We used to believe that you had to have some way to get a hold of the money in order to spend it. Uh, and, and we are definitely in a time uh, when you just spend it and spend it. You just spend and, it and spend it. And, there's not a lot of question about when or how so, we're going to get it back a hold of this money. And, and, and I don't I think it was mentioned maybe in this article, but uh, U.S. have now entered into a category of countries in the world who have a very high debt level. Let me include the countries in this list. Japan, Greece, uh, and Italy. Yeah. So that's who you are. Mm-hmm. You are associating yourself with, with this amount, a massive amount of debt investment. Yeah. And so... Uh, I'm not sure if that's where the U.S. wants to be listed on those lists. Of oh yeah, a few years ago, I mean, it was uh, Greece was being raked over the coals for being so irresponsible with debt. Uh, so, and it seems like European countries like Germany and England have been less prone to high stimulus money mm-hmm. uh, giving out to its people, unlike the U.S. And we've already passed two. Mm-hmm. The second one hasn't. You know, all the money hadn't even gone out yet. Now they're about to ready to pass a third. Yep. Yeah, and if you want to figure on uh, where did much of that come from, uh, quote, total employee compensation in the second and third quarters of 2020 was down by $215 billion uh, compared with the first quarter, yet government personal trans- transfers were up $893 billion. So down $215 billion, but then up $893 billion, four times the compensation loss. So there's a, there's a huge number right there uh, to be able to see uh, this is money that the government has given out uh, in 2020. And a lot of that money is going to people, as we were talking about earlier before we even got on here, that you know, it's going to people to pay their mortgage. Hmm. And once that money stops, if these people are, are continue to be unemployed, they're, they're not going to be able to pay for their home. Yeah. And so uh, I think there's a hope that that uh, if we just provide a little bit more money, a little bit more money, a little bit more money, people will be able to um, find employment and be able not to have to use the government money. And that is the hope. And yeah. that's probably the hope of President Biden, probably the hope of, uh, of those in Congress, that this money will go far enough so that people can can sustain some of the some of the, the impact of the, the virus and they can get back to work. And uh, I, I don't think that, I mean, that's a, that's a good goal. Um, the problem is, is that a lot of this, where you're seeing a lot of this positive indicators about the economy, is a bit artificial, yeah. because it's all government right. given. It's right. in government uh, elevated or, 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 or um, 
government provided. Yeah. It's not the market. Right. Government this. inflated. Yeah. yeah. Government inflated. So. Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, th there are some other stats uh, that we could give, but the long story short, there's just been a lot of money that the government has put into this economy, and that makes it uh, unpredictable. Right now, uh, housing sales are at a 14-year high. Private business investment is up 25%. Manufacturing is at a six-year high. Agricultural prices are at an eight-year high. That matters to people in the area where we live yeah, here. Absolutely. Uh, the Fed expects 4.2% growth in 2021. And uh, the December job report shows strength that while 498,000 jobs were lost in leisure and hospitality, which I would certainly guess is the hardest sector hit during mm -hmm. this, uh, the rest of the economy added 358,000 jobs. And, uh, you know, while certainly we feel bad for you if you work in the leisure and hospitality industry, it, it is one of those people are not going to go on vacation during times like this. Yeah, definitely like Disney World type places, right? right? In, in general, it's just not. I mean, and, and yeah, and speaking of Disney World, if you have children, small children, it's just, no, I don't want to manage children in out somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you cannot, uh, any of you who have small children know that you can say right now, don't touch anything, don't touch. And they don't. <laughs> it doesn't matter how strongly you say it. <laughs> their, their attention span is low. Yeah. Uh, so you just you keep kids at home in general, especially during this, and you, you just try to keep, I mean, even, even there. I mean, my child just in the past week has gotten hung up in his new bunk bed ladder. You know, hear him squealing from the next room because he thought he could go through the little oh, run. I mean, this is, how, this is what life is with small it. children. Yeah. You have to try it. <laughs> <laughs> you have to try it. I, you know, I, again, I don't know enough about microeconomics uh, to understand will this generate higher prices or will this cause... I have read that there's a, there's a fear that yeah, this will cause inflation. Yeah, sure. Um, but again, I'm not necessarily sure. Uh, inflation has been fairly low, you know, over the last several years. I mean, if you don't know that, just go and see how milk compared to like five years ago. Sure. Price hasn't really changed. Gas right. price hasn't really changed. Right. Um, and so um, will it lead to higher interest rates? I doubt it. I think the Fed has pretty much, uh, is pretty committed to lower low interest rates for a while now. Um, that's why... Yeah, I do encourage young young couples, you know, if they're thinking about buying a house, that would be a good time to buy one. But then again, if you don't buy one in the next year or so, I think the rates will probably still stay low. Yeah. Um, and so if you're thinking about buying a house or financing a, financing a car, this is probably a good time to do that. Uh, probably a good time to, uh, what, to, to, to get a different interest rate for your house right now. It's just because the rates are so low, right? right. It's not a bad time to do that. Um, it's a good time to maybe invest some money in the stock market because the stock market has been kind of inflated and kept to stay pretty high and pretty stable because of the, guess, the stimulus money. I mean, this money is being pushed into the market constantly, and so it's elevated the stocks and things like that. So, um, then again, I'm not an expert on stocks. Uh, I'm definitely not going to uh, prove I'm some kind of broker or some expert on on the on the market, it definitely didn't tell people to invest in GameStop. Uh, you may have, if you're not, if you didn't own GameStop not. stock, I don't know what 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 good is your I, video game. I hate love? no no please I hate GameStop. Oh, there's a story for another day. But so no no no. I, I on principle I would not have bought stock in GameStop. Yeah, is that a principle? Yeah. Oh, I I despise GameStop. Yeah, uh, there it is. There's the hot take. That's right. They they rake you over the coals for games. Uh, you know they. Give you nothing for your games, but charge you a lot for them later. Then I don't know. Yeah, uh, pe my people uh, generally are, people. are not GameStop people. So who are GameStop people? Um, people who are kind of casually into games are more GameStop people. People who don't know really where to get a hold of games. It's a very commercial sort of you know kind of place. Um, but but also, I mean, I'm a pretty. I play older games mostly, and so you don't want to go in there looking for older games. If they have them, they're going to charge you a lot. Wow. For them, um, so yeah, GameStop That's is like a uh, top tip there. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You want to find them on uh, find games that you might want uh, on the internet. Uh, mm -hmm. GameStop will charge you a little more than you might want. Yeah. So uh, I'll I'll say this um, again. I'm not an expert in the economy by any means, but uh, when the market right when when the coronavirus started in March, we put some more extra money into the market. 
And we definitely uh, saw the benefits of that decision because, again, the market has stayed yeah. uh, elevated, right? And so it's a great time to invest if the government's going to continue to give money to businesses to keep them afloat. Well, it's just going to help sure. stocks and stuff. And so, um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. Money from nowhere is money. Money from nowhere is <laughs> Somehow. Money. I mean, That's this right. is economics. That's this right. Is like <laughs> right. Uh, again, where, where that money is coming from originally, like, like where does the Nile start? Where does the money come from? Right. Good question. Right. Because the tax revenue isn't there. Right. But somehow there's still, the debt continues to increase, increase all the more. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's a Democrat in office or a Republican. The, the debt continues right. to grow even more. And right. so uh, it doesn't seem like the, the new strategy for Republicans and Democrats is just to spend money because mm -hmm. that will keep us in office, right? right. At least, if anything, if we're not going to pass bills, we can just spend money. Right. Maybe the people will think we're doing something. So, yep. Uh, so there you go. Anything else we want to... I don't think so. Yeah, anything... Before we get off, anything that you're... Uh, you're watching anything that, you know. Oh, sure. I got. I have two. Uh, I have what I will call a recommendation for some people because the show is a little bit uneven, but very interesting. Uh, we just finished, uh, Megan and I, watching The Stand. It was on CBS All Access. This is a Stephen King, the most recent translation of this Stephen King epic into a, a miniseries. And the ideas in it are what I would most recommend. There's some, I mean, very Christian ideas, honestly. And if you want to know more about the deepest ideas from the stand, read the Bible. <laughs> um, it's it, surprisingly uh, many, many Christian ideas in the stand. Um, and I wish I was better at reading fiction. I asked Megan, I said, would you start reading The Stand? And she's thinking about it. Um, but very interesting. Uh, like I said, uneven. They crammed a lot into nine episodes. Um, but then the other thing is we have, I guess, probably since we last recorded, we have watched all of Cobra Kai. And, oh, right. and it's a very good show. Very good. I liked Cobra Nostalgic, Kai a lot. Right? As, well, as, as somebody, yes, I did grow up watching The Karate Kid. Right. But I had no idea that The Karate Kid was such fertile ground for uh, a drama, as it certainly is, based upon now having seen three seasons of Cobra Kai. Uh, very solid drama. On yeah. Netflix, right? On Netflix. All right. Well, we are rewatching The Lord of the Rings extended edition incredible incredible yes. and uh, still uh enjoyable to watch um far better Do you know the, the stand uh stephen king was actually inspired by the lord of the rings to write the stand it's kind of his he said i wanted an epic like the lord of the rings but i wanted it in america with a post-apocalyptic uh and so there you go yeah so yeah the lord of the rings is so well done and peter jackson uh, just to do that to get those movies done. Oh, yeah. I think Lord of the Rings was probably considered before those movies to be probably impossible to make into a movie. Right, and um, I want to emphasize again that you're saying you're watching the extended yes. editions, oh, which yeah. is key. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, as I don't some, watch the other versions. As, as somebody who first watched Lord of the Rings in theaters and had no idea what was going on because they cut out storyline in the uh, theatrical and, and what they put back in is a lot of motivation. Where are these characters going? Who yep. are they? What are they about? Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, I remember watching the first movie going, who are these guys on the black horses and why are they after the little guys? And not have any clue what's going on. Yeah. Um, but the extended editions are key yeah. in, in, in as faithful and incredible a transition from a... From a it, it always done imperfectly, taking a oh, book sure. and turning it into a movie, but Peter Jackson... Incredible, and now I mean, looking back almost twenty years ago, so that these were done, they are still. There is no other book series that as impressively. Uh, I as, love how as these I, are I love how Peter Jackson and the Lord of the Rings. You know, you know, to be as popular as they were, but to really just uh, did not be in a hurry with the story. You yeah, know, like the yeah. I love Fellowship of the Rings, and I think I like it because. It's just so casual and yes. it's kind of gradual yeah, build yeah. up. Right. Like it almost like doesn't care. Hey, we're gonna spend some time in the shot and, and we're not gonna be in a hurry. Right. And then like once it gets past Rivendell and they get into like the missing like, get into Moria, then you're almost less interested in it because you're just like you're having to rush to the end mm -hmm. like, to get to the the battles and the battles yeah. and the battles. But my favorite parts of those movies is just kind of the we're just gonna lean back, we're gonna let the hobbits just kind of roam around a bit. And we're going to take you on this journey, and we're not going to be in a hurry, so get comfortable. Right. I love that yep. about the, the Lord of the Rings movies. 
And it's not like we're going to throw a bunch of action scenes at you and that's how we're going to entertain you for four hours. We're just going to let you enjoy the story, right. enjoy the characters, enjoy New Zealand. Right. But you see a lot of New Zealand. And, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan. Just so you know what you're in for, if I remember right, uh, Fellowship of the Ring is four and a half hours in the extended edition. It took us two, two days oh, to yeah. watch it because we, uh, we started late. And you yep. can't really watch a four-hour movie with oh, three no. kids. And, and I believe it's four and a half, and then the two towers is five, and uh, the Return of the King is five and a half. It's long. It's well, yeah. So you're in, I think of them as six movies. Yeah. Uh, because they're, I mean, first of all, you got now, six discs. Now, have you watched the Hobbit extended edition? I, I have not. not I have not. I, you know, uh, uh, the Hobbit was a pretty serious disappointment, just that they stretched it out too much. Well, and I think, you uh, know, what I was noticing about The Lord of the Rings is that they did such a good job of building physical sets. The orcs were all fairly well. There are some CGI, but very little yeah. in comparison to The Hobbit, <clears throat> yeah. which is very CGI. Yeah, right. All the orcs are CGI'd. Right. Right. They don't look real. It looks like a video game. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't... It doesn't, doesn't grab you. You don't feel yeah. like you're falling into New Zealand and that you're mm. actually in Middle Earth. You feel like you're watching a video game. And I think mm. that's what... Unfortunately, because the casting of uh, Martin... Um, oh, what's his last name? Uh, the guy who plays Bilbo was oh, yeah. a great cast. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you know, um, with, uh, uh, I'm forgetting all the, all the actors' names, but anyways, the guy who played Gandalf and things like that, um, uh, Ian McCullen, mm -hmm. uh, great, I mean, the acting is fine, you know, it, it's all good, it's just that it's unfortunate that Peter Jackson went CGI'd with it, and Lord of the Rings just feels real, oh, yeah. it feels like this is a real, like, movie with mm -hmm. real people, real, real characters, real sets, and things like that, and I think The Hobbit kind of failed in that, yep. and they went for lazy filmmaking and that's what they got yep and the results are really tough fantastic so uh we will hopefully be here next week talking about new issues new stories that are being out there and so uh, this has been empires of the future and we'll see you in the future